All right, grab your worship guide if you would. Turn to the center so they can take some notes with us. If you're following along online, onehopechurch.com, click on today's message notes and you can follow along in detail with us. How many of you guys are excited about At the Movies beginning in just a few weeks? At the Movies is coming. A few of you. I had a lady ask me, she said, at the movies, I've never been to that. Is it going to be in the movie theater? I'm like, yes, this movie theater right here in this room. And so if you're wondering, starting on the 10th of November, we will have three showings, 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m. We're going to give you lots of invitations as you go today. And I want to encourage you to pray for and invite as many of your friends as possible. If you come to the 9 or 10.30 a.m. and you loved it, you'll be able to come back later and see it. None of the movie messages will be online due to copyright issues but it's going to be a big, spree, big screen experience. There'll be popcorn and sodas and chocolate. How I many of y'all know God blesses those who eat chocolate, right? Uh, all right, I'm just making sure. This side of the room is excited. Y'all don't like chocolate over here? It's okay. More for me. That's all right. I'll be, I'm fine with that. But that's starting uh, in November, and uh, we always do it once a year. It's kind of a, uh, just a fresh way of kind of letting movies, modern-day parables, define and help us to exemplify and share the gospel with people. And so the entire message will be on screen. It'll be some of your favorite movies. We'll bring some of the oldies back, and we've got a few brand-new movies that have come out this year that I think are going to be really encouraging to you, Okay. So grab the worship guide. As I mentioned a moment ago, you'll notice the connection card. If you're with us for the first time, that's for you. You can connect with us or share your prayer requests, and we'll pick those up from you at the end of the service. Today, we're in the fourth part of a five-part series that we've simply titled Blurred Lines. We've been talking about the last few weeks how our culture is just blurring every single line, that we're constantly trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong and what's your truth and what's my truth and what's the truth, and there's all sorts of questions. And so in week one of our series, we talked about how we should respond and deal with our culture. We should start with grace and truth. We need both. We can't have one or the other. At week number two, we kind of drew a big comparison to what we called the battle. Babylonian mentality, this mentality that's contrary to God, it's the opposite of the way God would follow or God would actually tell us to live. And we really came back to like, hey, we, we need to follow God's way, not the world's way. We drew a clear distinction. Last week in part three, we talked about standing firm because as our culture gets crazier and crazier, they want us to bow to their ideas. We really talked about how that we have the power to stand firm. You can be a Christian. Amen, everybody? You can be a follower of Jesus Christ in our world. You don't have to back down for that. Today, I want to add the second part to standing firm. And today's subject is all about loving well. Because if you're going to stand for something, if you're really going to believe in it, the best way to impact the people around you is to love them. And today we're going to try to help you to understand what it really means to love someone, to care for them, and make sure that what they're getting from you isn't the harsh truth or the angry truth or the frustrated truth. No, no, no. What they're getting from you is love, the love of God that is in our lives. Now, I grew up in a big family. How many of y'all like to be right? Anybody here like to be right? Come on, show me those hands real quick. Show me those hands. All right. Some of y'all are being real honest in church. Some of you just lied in church right there. Okay, like, who, who doesn't like to be right? When I got married, I told my wife, listen, the three most important words you could ever say to me is, you were <laughs> The husbands didn't say anything right there. The ladies, I'll shout it out, and the husbands are nodding but won't say anything. They're hoping, hoping their wife doesn't see them saying that right now. But I grew up a big family, three boys, three girls. And, uh, you know, every time we would argue, I always, I was the third child. 
I wanted to be right. I had middle child syndrome. Any middle children in the room? I was, a, I was just a middle child, and the youngest were getting everything, and the oldest got everything. I was in the middle not getting much, you know, and uh, I was frustrated about it, and there was always things to argue and to be frustrated about. And I found myself just, just all, kind of drawing this line. That I, I wanted to have the moral high ground. I wanted to be right and can I tell you, being right is, is really not the goal. Being effective is the goal. When we're dealing with people, sometimes we want to have the power to say, you know, I am right or you were right. But ultimately, I would rather be effective than hold the, the moral high ground. I would rather make a difference with my life than walk around pointing fingers at people. Y'all follow me today? I want you to write it down with me this way. And that is when dealing with our culture, we cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. There is this tendency, especially in the social media world right now, where you can say all sorts of things that are antagonistic because you're not seeing them. Now, when I was a kid, you know, they hadn't invented, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. Funnier than some of y'all laughed at, thank you, okay? But, uh, you know, so we didn't, we didn't have the way to insult somebody from 74 miles away or from the other town or from another state. If you wanted to insult somebody, you had to look them in the face. And then you had to wonder if I said that to their face, were they going to hit me in the face? And so it, it fostered a little more respect and dignity for fear. And I think somewhere along the way, the way we're engaging with people has become more antagonistic, that it's all about debate. And listen, I love debate. I, I was the head of my debate class in school. Quite often when we would debate things in seminary, they would have somebody who was going to take the wrong side, like what we didn't believe, and they would always give me the wrong side. Don't know why. I think it's because I was so emphatic and I believed I could win. So one day we had a debate on the Trinity and not the Trinity. If you're unfamiliar, the Trinity is believing in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that those three are one in character, nature, and every attribute. I believe in the Trinity. But they told me I had to debate and say, I don't believe in the Trinity, I just believe in one God. And I'll have you know, I won the debate. <laughs> I like being right. But can I tell you, being right quite often is ineffective and antagonistic, and it creates a culture where people don't want to be around you. But a culture of love, ah, a culture where you're embracing and you care for people, and you care for people that are, the more different they are than you, the more you care for them. That is an environment that draws them into a dynamic relationship with you. And so we, we always kind of are trying to figure out this, this faith journey and how we should really look. And for many of us, I think we're trying to kind of like answer the question, you know, what, what should I do or what's right or what's wrong? Uh, how do I get to heaven? And in that question, we come up with things like church attendance. Like how, you know, do, if I go enough, well, then I'll be good enough. And if I, if I give enough money or if I serve someone who's hurting, and what you'll find in Scripture that all those things are good, but those things are not how you become like Jesus Christ. What you find from Jesus is that he constantly elevated love. He constantly elevated, and even Galatians 5 and 6 says it this way, the only thing that counts, the only thing, Pastor, the only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Think about that just for a moment. 
Jesus, as he was preparing uh, to ascend into heaven, pulls all the disciples around him in John chapter 13 and 34, and he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you, come on, say it with me, if you love one another. So the litmus test isn't how many times you came and whether someone's keeping track of your church attendance or whether you're perfect or whether you've got the right rule book that you're following. He ultimately sums it all up to do you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? And the second is like it, that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. He elevates love. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 says, let love be your greatest aim. So what are you shooting for in life? Rather than uh, writing out a new policy book of do's and don'ts, well, if you do this, you can be elevated. And if you don't do that, you can be elevated. What we find in Scripture is that Jesus' policy was love. When they threw the adulterous woman at his feet and they somehow didn't bring the guy with her, they caught them in adultery, but he wasn't there. That's kind of strange to me. And they throw her down. What does Jesus do? His policy was to love her rather than condemn her. Now, today, if God's policy was condemnation, you and I would not be here. You know that. You realize if God's policy was one and done, or what we like to do in our homes, the three strikes rule, you know, like, if, if you, well, you know, one time, once learned, twice burned, three times a fool. <laughs> if you do it a third time, you're going to meet Jesus, and I hope he's more forgiven than I am, right? We, we say things and we act this way, right? If God was in the, the condemning business, we would all be done. We'd be toast, but he's in a gracious and loving and kind. Put it in this perspective. John 3, 16 is the most popular verse. For God so loved the world. The very next verse said, he did not come to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. We're in an opportunity to be saved by God because he loves us. And every once in a while, every once in a while, somebody will come and say, well, pastor, you know, so-and-so is doing this, and so, you know, do you know she's, and she, she's on that team, or he's on that team? And I say, yeah, uh, how are we going to deal with that? And they're always looking for me to break out the rule book. How many of y'all remember the rule book in church, right? <laughs> I grew up in a church that had old school pews. You remember pews? Those old wooden backs, a little soft on the bottom, but just uncomfortable enough to keep you awake was the goal. Little comfort to keep you there, uncomfortable enough to, to keep you awake. And I, I, you know, I had a pastor early, if you, if you kind of laid over and started falling asleep, oh, oh, he was going to make his way close, and there was going to be one of these, or you know, some sort of shout in the service, because it was trying to get you back. The policy was you should stay awake while I'm preaching. And I always thought, well, if you were funny, I'd stay awake. <laughs> I got you over there. That one amen right there. The rest of y'all just laughed, okay? But See, somewhere in there, we've adopted a policy book that isn't even in the Bible. If you're wondering, the Bible is the policy book. And the Bible tells us what is right and what is wrong, but it tells us how we should engage with people who are right and wrong. We should love them. And that our expression should be to love them. But I imagine, what would it look like without love? 
There's a famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 that outlines what it looks like when we don't have love. And I want to take a few moments. Would you take some notes with me? Here's what life looks like without love. Without love, the first is all we would say is it's just ineffective. When you don't have love, your words become meaningless. They just become noise that's kind of in the traffic all around us. The Apostle Paul said, no, 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 if you're just, just saying things to say things, you're going to be ineffective. 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, here's how he says it. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You're just a noisemaker. But if you really love someone, what you say then has meaning. And what I'm trying to bring us back to is that, that, that our world is going further and further away from really loving people. And the reason is, is because they've abandoned God and God is love. See, a lot of people think that God does love or God shows love. No, no, God is love. He can't do anything other than love, which is an amazing thing for you and I. And so rather than being antagonistic and rather than allowing nasty things to come out of our mouths, what we, what we have to do is, is what Ephesians 4 and 15 challenges us to do, that we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We're going to speak the truth in, say it with me, in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on to tell us that without love, all I actually know is insignificant, knowledge that we have becomes insignificant in the world around us because it's just head knowledge and it's not being poured out through a heart of love. I don't know if you know this, but every, every year our knowledge is actually tripling. And so if knowledge could save us, we'd all be saved. Now, I appreciate knowledge. It gives me a better smartphone. How about y'all, right? I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy that side of it, but smartphones aren't saving people's lives. The love of God is. He says it this way in verse 2. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy, that means I, I got the ability to, to declare the things of God and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge. If I have all of that, but I don't have love, then everything that I am, I'm just a noisemaker. I'm just someone who's not going to make a difference because ultimately they're going to switch from the channel of what I'm saying and go to someone that is expressing love. He goes even a little bit deeper. He says that without love, all I actually believe is insufficient. You might say, well, pastor, you know, this is, this is all about faith. This is all about believing in God. And, and absolutely, I have put my faith in Jesus. I have put my faith on him. I believe he is the son of God and the savior of the world. But he goes on in the very next verse. He says, if I have faith that can move mountains... But do not have love. Would you say the next three words? I am nothing. This is a tall order, isn't it? To really love people. And to not get caught up in, you know, I believe this and you believe that. We've almost, we've almost tried to diminish even what the understanding of belief is. We've said that belief is like mental assent. Belief is not mental assent. Belief is believing something to the point that you actually live it out. It becomes a moral conviction of your life. For heaven's sakes, the devil even believes in God. It has to go beyond believing in God and being in love with God. 
Y'all following me today in church? It has to go beyond this idea of like, I've read the Bible, I've got a few verses, those are good things. No, no, why are you here today? Is it because you've surrendered to the love of God? Or are you here today because you've got to check the box and make sure you got fire insurance so you don't possibly go to hell? See, listen, I'm not here. I'm not here for you and I'm not here for that. I'm here for my love of God. I'm here because during worship, I have moments with God without you. And I'm here because my time with God leads me to love other people. See, you can, you can almost use the, you can gauge your love for God in the way that you deal with other people. Kind of a tough message today. I think it hits all of us because we really want love but don't know how to give it. And it's because there's been such an attack on our families. Because the place where you were supposed to receive a depiction and an understanding of unconditional love, the enemy has attacked and tried to destroy the family. And so many of us, we, we've never really had unconditional love in our life. We've never had someone example that kind of love. And today, I just want you to hear this with, with all of my heart, that if you, if you open your heart to God, you'll experience love like you've never known. If you open your heart to God, you experience love that's life-changing. The Apostle Paul goes on to simply say that without love, all I actually give is incomplete. He's teaching us that if you have the litmus test of if I give enough, if I serve enough, if I attend enough, that actually your giving is not what's going to get you into where God wants you to be. This is, this is important because some of us have more to give and less to give and in certain environments. And listen, it's not about how much you have, it's about how much you love. 1 Corinthians 13 and 3, he says, if I give all I possess to the poor, if I gave it all away but I didn't have love I know it's getting tough I only got one more and we'll wrap it up and we'll move on okay I'll get to the funny story that's coming all right here we go but we'll write this down with me without love without love all I accomplish is inadequate to get me to heaven without love you being 51% better than the other guy or being 51% good rather than 50% bad just getting on the good side of things isn't going to be enough you're going to have to recognize that love is at the very heart of everything God wants to do in our lives. 1 Corinthians 13 and 3 says, If I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Man, every time I, every time I read the passage about love, it convicts me. Because I realize my own selfishness. I realize that, that God, he really just wants me to learn of his love so that I can pour out his love to others. And even with my own family at times, it can be tough. I often tell you guys stories about my kids and how I'm trying to teach them about discipline and about love. And one of my favorite passages to, to teach my son and daughter about discipline is, is in the book of Hebrews where it says a son uh, or a daughter that a father loves, he disciplines. And because, so if I don't love you, then I'm not going to tell you the right thing to do, son. If I don't love you, I'm not going to be there for you. And my kids, they, they really love when I quote verses to them. <laughs> Heard that one before, Dad. You got a new one? <laughs> but recently, you know, we're, we're discussing this again and again. It's a, it's a recurring event. And the very first time I shared that verse with my son, I said, listen, the reason, the reason you're getting disciplined is because I love you. 
And I, I grew up old school that when a parent loved you, you could get a whipping. Anybody remember whippings back in the day? Anybody remember? Do y'all remember that the difference, there's a difference between a whipping and a whooping? See, a whipping, you could walk away normal afterwards. A whooping, you had a hard time walking away. Now, don't believe in abuse in any kind of way, uh, but I grew up in a good Italian Catholic heritage, all right? And when you did wrong, you knew you did wrong, all right? And it was going to be a whooping. And so I was, I was teaching my son about my heritage and talking about the discipline and love, and he, he was just kind of knew this whole concept. And so he went to school the next day, and I was like, he came home from school afterwards, and he said, Dad, you'll never believe this. I said, believe what? He said, you know Elizabeth in my class? I said, yeah, I know Elizabeth. He said, you know that Elizabeth's dad doesn't love her? I said, what, son, what are you talking about? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't discipline her. I said, son, did you tell Elizabeth that? He said, yeah, I did. <laughs> I said, son, you're going you're gonna to have to go back to Elizabeth and explain this a little bit. She went home saying, dad, do you love me? <laughs> I don't know. And, and so this, it's a constant conversation because when you come to God, there is some things in your life that God wants to change. There are some things in our lives that God wants to help us to get back to his plan. Not because he's angry with us, but because he built you, he designed you, he has a plan for you. And so if you will recognize that, you'll realize that his discipline isn't because he's angry. No, his discipline is because he's in love with you. And because he wants the best for you. And, and his plan on marriage and his plan on family and his plan on uh, how to make money is a plan that is respectable and God honoring and you can build your life on. But it all begins with love. If you want a simple line to sum up the entire message, write it down this way. And that is life minus love, it equals nothing. Life minus love, it equals nothing. It's not going to produce what you want in your life. And we have to find a way to love again. 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 goes on to say it this way. That love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Come on, say it with me. Love never fails. What a powerful passage to challenge all of us. But can I tell you, can I, uh, can I, can I tell on myself today? Y'all with me? Can I, uh, now, some of y'all are new to our church, and you're not used to your pastor confessing their sins in church, all right? But that's what I'm about to do. Can y'all handle it? Some of y'all are like, oh, yeah, I have the gift of gossip. I'm waiting on it, you know, like. Just. <laughs> we were, um, we, uh, we had some storms yesterday, most of you are aware, and, and, and there was a lot of power outages. And uh, uh, gratefully, our home did not lose power, but if yours did, I understand it's a very painful experience. And so one of my dear friends who, who I work out with most weeks on Saturday morning lost power. And so he said, hey, so we'll just come to our house and we'll, we'll do things over here. And, and, and so we got finished all that and we decided we we're going to go to lunch together. And we just didn't realize that there were still major areas without power. And so we're going to this restaurant and we're saying, that, well, that one's closed and this one's closed. And we get to this light. And when you see not even a flashing red, you know it's going to be a bad stoplight. 
And so I'm in the car, and I call him, and I said, well, listen, we're, I, I, we know there's power over here, so we're going to go over there. And I said, listen, this is one of those days where it's going to stretch our patience. Do you ever go in a situation knowing that you need to learn how to love people? Y'all don't even want to admit it right now, do you? And so I'm, I'm in traffic, and there's no, the light's not working, and, and it, you know, it's, it's four-way and turns, and so no one knows what in the world they're supposed to do. It's like, I'm just, I'm like praying in the Spirit, God help me right now. I'm like trying to do everything I can, and, and so then I try to get over, turn my blinker on, and I'm, I'm trying to ease over, and, and I get to this point, I'm almost into the lane that will let me get on interstate and get off a of Veterans Boulevard. I'm like, I'm so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on interstate, and when I do, the lady in front of me, she stops hard, and I stop hard, and when I say I touched her car, I went, I just touched her car. And it's like a sea of people with horns going and no, like it's the worst place to get in an accident. And I look into her car and she's sitting there with a steering wheel. She's got a full on iPad in the steering wheel. It was one of those moments, you know, I'm like, this is my fault or yours? Do y'all have these thoughts? This is, not a, this is not a loving thought. This is a bad thought, okay? I'm just, I'm, I'm confessing to you what happened. And so I'm trying to ease to the next lane so I can see if she's, you know, like, I mean, I literally just, we just touched. And she, by the grace of God, just started going, we're good, we're good, we're good. Just go. Can I tell you how good I felt in that moment? I thought, you're so filled with love and grace. I mean, the presence of God. I mean, forget that iPad. It's okay. It's all right. You weren't focused on driving, you know? And then the lady behind me, the lady behind me, I got, I got grace coming out of this car and I got truth coming out of the other one. And I'd love to say to you that I was gracious and kind. She pulled up on side of me and I rolled down the window and I had all sorts of negative thoughts. Do you? And I just said, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> and my little girl in the back seat says, Daddy, are you going to be okay? <laughs> That's when we need love the most, isn't it? Now, the lady with the iPad, I'm grateful. But me in the car, I, I need to do better. And it's little things like that, and sure, we can tell on ourselves and they're funny, but ultimately, it's what's going to change our world is, is learning how to love people that, that wouldn't do it the way you would do it, or say it the way you would do it, or look the way you would look, or go where you would go. But you love them because they are. They're God's children. And because he loves us all. What we've been doing over the last few weeks is going back to the book of Daniel and we've been letting Daniel exemplify for us how to live a life in these blurred lines, how to find clarity. And in Daniel chapter 6, there is a very important passage that helps us to realize what we should do because Daniel was able to impact three different kingdoms, uh, three different kings in the same kingdom, I should say. He was able to uh, impact three different leaders and how they touched other people's lives. And in Daniel chapter 6, we see how he did it says it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. 
Now, Daniel so distinguished himself. You might want to write those two words down. He distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his, two more words, exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. What was it about Daniel's life that so distinguished him in his culture? What was it that set him apart? And today what I'd like to give you is three practical things and then we're going to close and pray together. Three practical things that are really an expression of love that Daniel had in his heart and how he engaged with the culture around him. And I want you to write it down with me this way. How can we, how can we love the people around us? Number one, we can serve them. The greatest expression of love is when we don't stand over people and point out their faults. It's when we climb under them and we lift them out of the ditch, everyone. It's when we come alongside their situation instead of being angry with them and pointing at them. No, no, no. We say, no, I was there too. The Bible teaches us that God, uh, he had the opportunity, God the Father, he could have kept his son here. But instead of Jesus looking at our sinfulness and pointing out our problems, the Bible says that he served humanity. He climbed to the bottom of our sinfulness, the bottom of the pile of humanity, and he lifted us out of it. Today, I want to encourage you that what our culture needs is for us to serve them. I didn't say become a doormat. That's not what I said. But I said become a servant leader where you walk in not trying to lord things over them, but rather serve them in such a way that their heart is open to what God wants to do in their lives. 1 Corinthians 9 and 19 says, though, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. The Apostle Paul's heart wasn't to stand over, but to serve. So here's how we say it behind the scenes with our team. We say Jesus connected before he ever corrected. He connected with, he served. So why do we have to serve Saturdays? Why do we partner with the New Orleans Mission and Crossroads NOLA? Why, why do we care about sex trafficking in our city and in our world? Why, why do we do it? Because we want to serve people who are there and help them to get out of that environment. But they're never going to hear your words if you don't love them. And the way that you can love them is by serving them. Here's the second thing that we're called to do, and that is to set an example for them. As I said earlier, our world just doesn't even know what love looks like. So many families are broken. So many homes have been broken by the attack of the enemy that they just don't even know what love is. And what they're looking for is someone to just say, no, 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 I'm going to love you. I'm not going to point out your flaws. The Bible actually says that love covers a multitude of sin. It doesn't pretend it's not there, and we're not going to leave you there, but it covers it so that you can come out. So you don't have to live based upon what you did or what happened to you. But you can set an example of receiving God's love. Therefore, you can love others. Matthew 5 and 13 says it this way. You are the salt of the earth, One Hope Church. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You, One Hope Church, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Come on, say the next four words with me. In the same way. Come on, one more time. In the same way. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is what God is calling us to do, to set an example of what real love looks like. And when you do, they'll be drawn to you. I would write it this way. The greatest influence we can have on our world is how we live our lives. It's how. It's how we set an example. I I went on a field trip with my daughter this weekend. My wife told me that I was going to go on the field trip, and I was like, oh, I'm excited. We're going to an alligator ranch. And then I got more excited. And I I usually kind of forego the the field trips because it tends to be me and, and all the moms. Come on, fellas, help me out. You know, it's like, it's just, it's, it's awkward, you know, no matter what you do. She said, but you're going to an alligator ranch, and Liv really wants you to go. And so I jumped on board, and when I got there, there were six other fathers that were there. And can I tell you, it blessed me. It just blessed me. One, because <laughs> I wasn't the only guy. It really blessed me. <laughs> I'm being honest with y'all. What really blessed me is how many fathers cared about their daughters and their sons. And we're sitting at the table, and I thought, man, we have our kids in a good place. Why? Because there are other, other families that are trying to set an example of godliness. And today, if you don't have that, that's what this place can be. A place where you show up and your kids are able to see your example and other men and women's example of godliness. That's what they can see. Here's the last, and we close. If we're going to love the world, number three, we have to share Christ with them. We don't have to share Christ with them by pointing out all their faults or saying they failed at the Ten Commandments. No, we come to him and say, I was just like you. I was was in the same situation. This is what happened. See, the Bible calls us not to be prosecutors, not to be judges. The Bible calls us to be witnesses. And what's a witness do? A witness tells their story. And so I just walk in and say, you know what? I, I was a preacher kid who hated church. Anybody been there? Come on. You don't have to raise your hand. One lady in the back. Thank you. Praise God. All right. We were in it together, right? I just, I hated church. And I decided that when I was going to follow God, that if I was going to do this, it was going to look different than what I experienced growing up. Instead of the anger and the frustration, hopefully what you found when you walked on the property is people that love you. First Peter 3 and 15, here's what it says, and we close. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. He said, love people so much that they got to take back their negative words. Be kind to them when they're evil. Be kind to them when they're judgmental. Be kind to them. And at some point, they'll have to eat that humble pie. He said, no, no, they followed God. They were kind. They did. Listen, and God, God himself will vindicate you. My favorite quote from St. Francis of Assisi, we close, is preach the gospel. And you know it. And if necessary, come on, say it. Use words. Use words. Let your life, let your life serve them. Set an example for them. And share Jesus. Share Jesus. As we close today, would you bow with me in prayer? Just set your stuff to the side quietly if you would. With every head bowed and every eye 
close in this room. If today you're far from God and what you experienced growing up was religion and you never really experienced the good news of the gospel, you heard a lot about God or religious things, but you really never experienced that unconditional love. If you're here today and you want to experience that unconditional love, the love that forgives sin, the love that overcomes the distance between us and God, if you're here today and you're far from any reason and you want to come home or you want to come to him for the very first time, I won't embarrass you. I will not ask you to stand. I will not ask you to come to the front with every head bowed and every eye closed. You're one prayer away from experiencing unconditional love. I want to lead you in that prayer. Would you whisper these words right after me if you're here today and you need him in your life? Say these words, Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you into my life. And I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live this life on my own? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.